Let's get into some word. I hope you can feel that passion because I am excited about it, and I hope you guys are excited about it too. Um, my wife and I, we support them monthly, uh, and, and once again, the church does as well. Um, and we just want to give into that ministry because we want to see as many kids as possible go through that um, and change their future because we believe the Word of God does change futures. Um, and so we want to be a part of that. Father, we're pra- we praise you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we get to grow in you. Um, Lord, we just we lean in today. Father, we ask that you would help us to see and recognize your truth Um, That we would grow in the things that you have called us to. um, That you wouldn't leave us the same. But Lord, today we would leave changed by your gospel. Uh, We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series, People Like Us Do Things Like This. And if you've been here for any time, you know that this is based out of 1 Samuel, where we talked about King David, who goes to fight Goliath. Saul, who was the king at the time, David was just a boy, tries to put his armor on David to go fight like a soldier, and David says, I can't make this work. And he takes a staff, and he takes a slingshot, tools of the shepherd, and goes and defeats a warrior. And we, in Northwest Ohio, in the Midwest, we have certain tools that we have in our belt that might not look like other places, might not look like warrior weapons, but they certainly are effective in fighting this real enemy that we have every single day. And so, Some of those tools are authenticity and humility, right? We talked about the first week. Um, Being spirit-filled, spirit-led. We talked about that the second week. Family-oriented and and how we are kind of relationship-minded with our families. Kingdom-minded, how we pray and we worship together. And last week we talked about how we are forgiving people because we experience Christ's forgiveness in us. Well, this week we're going to dive in a little bit deeper um, and I think it's, it's kind of a fun subject that we're going to talk about. And people like us, we understand that we are on a journey and that we're helping each other along the way. People like us journey together. That's what we do. We have a saying, there is a God. Everyone spends eternity in heaven with him or in hell without him. The way to God is through Jesus. We are here to pursue Jesus together. That's what we're here to do. And so this last one, when we talk about this, I want to talk about the journey, and I want to talk about togetherness, those two things. And so it's really kind of, you're getting two sermons in one today, I'm not even going to charge you extra, I'm not. You're going to get them both for the price of one, okay? But we want to talk about both of these things because I really, really think that they are important. The other night, my son comes to us, um, and, and we're all sitting in the living room together, and it was fun. Uh, having a conversation and everybody joking around. It's just a blast um, being part of a wonderful family. Uh, my son comes to us and says that he, he wants to buy a motorcycle. And in this process, we had one of the um, most joyous and also most awful conversations I've ever had in my entire life. Because Ruth looks at him and says, well, you know, hey, don't you want to start saving money to move out? I think you all know where I'm going with this. And he's like, I ain't moving out. And then, and then another one who's sitting right next to him says, I ain't ever moving out. And we're sitting there as we make our way through the kids, as they're all telling us how they're going to live in our house forever. 
And I, I fainted. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth picked me up. No, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you guys know this because I, I know a lot of you are older and, and kids, I want you to know this too. Like my children are truly one of the greatest joys of my life. They are. And, and I love them. I love them, and I, I, it's, it's, it's even that growing up and being on that lifelong adult journey is one of the greatest experiences they will ever have. And I don't want them to miss out on that. And so we have, as a culture, talking about journey, we have bought into a little bit of a lie, and I've heard it said over and over and over again, to my kids, it was said to me, by adults ahead, and I'm pretty sure probably all of you heard it. And it was this, when we were teenagers, enjoy this time, it'll be the best years of your life. You ever hear that? Because I heard it. People told me that when I was 16 years old. Enjoy this, it'll be the best years of your life. I'm here to tell you, young people and older, that is only true if you do adulting wrong. It's only true if you are bad at being an adult. Because being an adult is, you know, I get to set my own boundaries, my own rules. I kind of get to set my own life and schedule and things like that. And I mean, like, like adulting is cool. But not only that, we have such joy in I, my wife and my relationship. It, it, it's, it's incredible that I want my kids to experience way better than any relationship I had in school way better and and having kids I just remember I remember when Malachi was born and just I mean I shock all I don't even know how to explain it you guys probably all been there but I'm holding this baby in my arms and I'm like Lord what in the world are you trusting me with because there's there's nothing I can do but screw this thing up nothing I mean I'm just looking at it with just awe and and then you know having there's just so many amazing things about growing up. And when I tie that to ourselves when it comes to the church and our faith, I think it's just a reality that we've all bought into the same lie. That it's fun to sit and watch the Christian show and enjoy the worship and teachings and things like that and not be part of any of the responsibility and you're missing out on some of the greatest parts of faith you really are if that's your life remaining a a christian child a faith-based child you're missing out on some of the greatest parts of life because essentially what we're telling our our teenagers is you know you get to have all of these freedoms with none of the responsibilities, and it's great, but you miss out on so much. And that's the same with faith. Yeah, you get to enjoy a whole bunch of the freedoms and some of the fun stuff without being part of the responsibility, but you miss out on so much. And here's the thing. We know this. When you're 16 and 17, living that, that free, you know, fun life or whatever, uh, making mistakes when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, trying to do things and stumbling. Like it's kind of fun, and there's a lot of grace for that. But when you're still doing that at 45, the entire world looks at you like, what's wrong with you? And we have an entire church, I feel like, the Big C Church, 
that we have bought into this same lie. And we have people who have been Christians for 45 years still acting like toddlers. And it looks silly. And, and I just am challenging you, church, because I believe that we all believe this, that we're on a journey. But we also need to get better at it, don't we? We also need to take steps forward in, in our growth. And we only do that based on our decisions that we make. I know this is probably too soon, but I actually called this the great pandemic, the American pandemic. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the lie of Peter Pan. And, and, I, and I was thinking about those stories, and there's, there's really three of them. There's Peter Pan, there's Return to Neverland, and then there's my favorite, Hook. How many people remember Robin Williams' Hook? Second movie I ever went to the theater and saw. And I thought I could fly for weeks after that. I just needed fairy dust. That's it. I had the happy thoughts. I just needed, I just needed the fairy dust and I could, I could fly. I remember thinking, and Adam and I, you know, we built wood airplanes and tried to fly them off the roof of the garage. Anybody else do that stuff? They didn't fly well. Um, and so I remember thinking I could fly. What great stories. But it's funny how there's this process, right? And there's the, the lie of Peter Pan, the great pandemic. Pan means everything. Demic means all people, right? And that's why, you know, like a pandemic disease is all people, everyone, or everything, everyone. You know, it can affect. And so talking about that, Peter Pan is full of potential, the king of nothing, all about fun, and he misses out on the greatest parts of life. But in the movie, it looks so awesome, doesn't it? But it, it transforms as the, movies, as the movies move on, doesn't it? In Return to Neverland, Captain Hook goes in and kidnaps Jane, who is actually Wendy's daughter, thinking that it's Wendy, and he's going to use Jane to entice Peter Pan. Peter Pan... The whole process, you know, all that stuff with Captain Hook doesn't buy into it. But then finally, by the time Hook comes along, Wendy's granddaughter, Moira, Peter Pan says, you know what? I'm tired of being a kid my entire life. I want to have kids of my own. And that was his happy thought. You remember that in Hook? I, I want to grow up. I want to have some of these responsibilities. I want those because... Because they're some of the greatest parts of, of life. And he goes through that process and it's amazing. It's amazing. The whole story is amazing and I could pick it apart and all those things. But here's the reality. Like, you look at Peter Pan. He remains a child for far too long. But finally decides that the greatest parts growing up. But what do we have as an example of an adult in the story? We have Captain Hook, right? And Captain Hook is greedy. He's chased by the monster of time, the ticking crocodile, right? And all of us have felt that, right? Time is ticking away. It's ticking. It just keeps on ticking. Every day I wake up and another body part hurts. I didn't even know where that muscle was. I didn't know it was there. I don't know why it hurts today. I didn't actually do anything to it yesterday that I can think of other than sleep. And something hurts. Time, right? It's, it's chasing, it's chasing, um, and time already has a piece to him. He's obsessed with revenge, which I think is a lot of us. We're mad about something that happened in our childhood or earlier in our adulthood, and we live our lives obsessed by it. 
Peter Pan cut off his hand, fed it to the crocodile, and he's forever obsessed with revenge. And also he's chasing a youth, which I think there's some serious implications there as we chase. And I feel like that's often how we are when it comes to Christianity and faith. We don't want to grow up and we wait way too long to do it. And it looks kind of silly. And, and here's the point. I, I'm going to get to this um, even more as, as, we, as we move forward. But, but church, the reason I'm telling you this is because I just, I want to inspire you and challenge you to take steps forward in your maturity when it comes to, to your faith. And here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. As you take steps forward in your maturity when it comes to faith, just like you did when it comes to being an adult, you're going to make lots of messes. You're going to say some really stupid things. You're going to do some really stupid things. I remember telling people that cleanliness is next to godliness was one of my favorite scriptures. That's not in the Bible. I didn't know. But we have things like that, right? You're going to make messes. But the reality is you can stay a kid the rest of your life, but you miss out on so much. I just, I just want to go. Be strong and courageous. Make messes. Make messes. And along the way, start to discover all of the amazing gifts that God put in you. And so I want to, I want to tell you a couple of stories as we go through this, some biblical stories. We're going to start in Genesis today, um, Genesis 12, and I'm only going to read four verses, but this is the story of Abraham. And if you don't know who Abraham is, Abraham is really the, the father of the, the faith, that he started it all. And so in this section of scripture, God comes in and meets with Abraham, and he talks to him, and he challenges him with this, and I, and I think it's great, because I think this is a challenge for all of us. Both physically, but really, really spiritually. 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The next three words are amazing. So Abram went. And the Lord had told him, and Lot, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75. That's a, that's a long time to be living with your parents. Very long time to be living with your parents, um, especially in our culture. But this was a different time, right? But this was very unusual. But God says, listen, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make a great nation from you. It's time to go out on your own. And I love it. You know why? Because only out on his own can he see what God really wants to do through him. Somebody else can always get the credit when you're like that, when you're just living it off your parents, right? But at this point, Independent, you go, you do what I've asked you to do, and you're going to see me bless the people around you. This is what God's saying. You're going to see me dishonor those who dishonor you. 
you're going to see me make a great nation of you. And he's 75 years old at this point. He finally has a son, 99. He's way too old to have children, but he actually does uh, through his wife, Sarah. The next story, which is amazing um, to me, uh, Abraham gives Sarah away. Uh, he changes his name to Abraham. That's why I keep calling him Abraham. He gives his wife away because he's scared of, of the king. And he makes all kinds of mistakes in the process of moving to where God wants him to. The king ends up, you know, having dreams and all that stuff. And it's like, you told me this was your sister. Because he did. He told the king this was his sister. Because he says, my wife is so beautiful, they're going to kill me and take her. So I'm just going to tell, tell everybody that that's my sister. So the king takes her. And then the king has a nightmare calls Abraham and says, what is going on here? Uh, you lied to me. Take him. And then the king gives him a bunch of stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing what God does um, through that risk. But Abraham makes messes, right? And that's part of the challenge um, that we get to do that ourselves. It's a process of maturation. So I want to read another story, Acts 9. I know I'm, I'm running through this pretty fast, but this is just, it's so valuable and so important um, that we kind of understand these things. This is the story of the conversion of Paul. And there's some real points in this, and this is kind of the idea of doing this together. So hopefully I've challenged you that, you know, it's, we got to grow up. We got to continue to grow. We got to find ways to mature. We should be doing that physically but also mentally and spiritually. We should never stop learning, never stop growing. And we can get comfortable and we can sit in Papa's house and do nothing but enjoy Papa's blessings. But God has called us to something greater and, and to reach that we have to kind of be strong and courageous and step out, don't we? Just like Abraham did. But here we have um, the story of Paul. And I want to really start kind of from the beginning because I think it's, it's really, really good for us to see this. And I've got like four points here in this story that I just want to draw out. But it says this, Paul, but Saul, who's he's Saul, he changes his name to Paul. We've got a lot of name changes going on here, you know. It's just, um, but at this time it's Saul. He's going to change his name to Paul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, the way was, was what they called Christianity at the time, any belonging to the, to the Christian faith, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, we have this man who is threatening the faith. Murder, prison time. He's got letters that says he can take anybody that he thinks is tied to this faith to court. He's got those. And he's out on a mission and God meets him there. And I think there's something really, really cool about this. And I actually wrote this quote down, and Morbid's going to put it up on the screen. Jesus meets people where they are, not where we think they should be. 
Jesus meets people where they are, not where we think they should be. Because in our minds, we would be like, there's no way God can meet this dude. He's trying to hurt Christians. But the Lord says, no, nah, no. Nah. I got a plan for him. I got a big plan for him. And I'm going to go meet him on his path to destroy my church. I mean, that's just crazy. And I, so, so reality, I don't care where you are. You know, alcoholism, uh, addicted to pornography, um, affairs, whatever. God can meet you where you are. He can. And I know it's hard because a lot of times it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not where I should be. <laughs> Paul wasn't either. He wasn't where he should be. His life was not ready to be converted. But God met him where he was, not where we think he should have been. Let's read on. That's point number one. As we go. He said, who are you, Lord? That's Paul's response. Like, I guess with the light shines bright and hits you where you're at, and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here's my second point. We meet people where they are, not where we think they should be. That's point number two. Because we see here these people led him by the hand, and then Ananias, who we'll see in a minute, was sent to minister to him. And Ananias responds with, whoa, whoa, I've heard about this dude. That was his response when God says, I want you to go meet with Paul. And we're going to read it here in just a minute. But here's the reality. Paul was somebody he heard about. God had a plan for Paul. And this guy's like, I don't want to go to him. But God says, I've got a plan for him. So Ananias ends up going and meeting with Paul. And this great conversion takes place. There are so many people we are scared of because we've heard of them. And the truth is, is if God can meet people where they are, not where we think they should be, we can meet people where they are, not where we think they should be. Because it doesn't, I mean, even in this, this life, our life is eternal. Amen? Like, our life is eternal. It just, it is what it is. So, we meet people where they are, not where they think. And then sometimes, we need to take them hand in hand. I like this part right here. Where Paul, all of a sudden, has to be led by the hand somewhere. I think that's great. Because the truth is, is I think most of us, when we come to faith, we have no idea where we're going. We're walking blind. And truthfully, we need somebody to grab us by the hand and walk with us. Almost like toddlers. I love my, my little nephew. He's been coming over and he started walking. But it's so much fun to grab him by the hands and walk with him, isn't it? It was cute. It was fun. It was awesome. And as infant Christians... Some of us get great joy by walking you hand in hand. Now, when you're 20, that's no longer cute. All of my boys are, well, Caden's not, but I was going to say all my boys are taller than me. 
And it's hard for me to like hold their hands and walk with them. It kind of looks silly. We wouldn't do that anymore. But that's part of the maturing process. But at some point, when we're infants in our faith, we got to be walked hand in hand. And Paul, right here, guys have to lead him by the hand. I want to read the rest of the story because I think it's important, especially for our, our last point. Um, he says, Uh, in verse 9, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him. So that he might regain his sight. I love Ananias' response because I think it's very authentic and I think it would be most of our responses. He says this, that Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I love Ananias' response because essentially it's like, uh, Lord, this guy's too bad. He's too bad. You can't, you can't send me there. I've heard of him. He's bad. He's a bad man. And the Lord says right after that, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. When did we get to decide who's a chosen instrument and who's not? When did we get to decide that? Because right here, Ananias is looking at him going, uh-uh, this is a bad dude. And God says, uh-uh, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Once again, we meet people where they are, not where we think they should be. Because if we waited for everybody to get where we think they should be, we would have a church filled with nobody. Because every one of us started somewhere. And somebody was willing to take all of us hand in hand and lead us in faith. All of us were. And we said silly things and we did stupid things as we grew up. Because that's what children do. Even kids in the faith. We make messes. We create messes. We make mistakes. We do silly, stupid things. But that's part of growing up. How else are you going to learn? Grandma Faye calls bumps learning bumps, right? Those, oh, learning bumps. Is that a learning bump you got there? Got a big bruise on your arm. You got a learning bump. Because that's what it's like, right? We do stupid things. We get bumps and bruises. We learn from them and we move on. That's what we do. That's part of the journey. And we do it together, hand in hand, working with people, growing together. And I mean, I hear things. People say things and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's bad. But that's what he said about Paul. He a bad man. The Lord says, no, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And that's when Ananias went. <laughs> He's like, oh, don't worry, he's going to suffer. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> right? I'll go pray for him now. You know, it's, anyways, Ananias departed, it says. And entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me 
so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I love it. He arose and was baptized. This was a bad man who God met, used Ananias to lead him, and he was an incredible instrument for the gospel. What a great story. And, and once again, Ananias' name is small in here. He's not mentioned much, but he's such an important part of the story. And I love it when we put these things together. One, Jesus meets people where they are, not where they think we think they should be. Two, sometimes we have to be led hand in hand. Three, we meet people where they are, not where we think they should be. And four, ultimately, sometimes we're asked to go to people that we have heard of. And when we're asked to go, we go because we have no idea what God is going to do with those people. That's what it means to be on the journey together. That we are maturing people, helping other people mature. I remember, and I still don't have it, I don't want to pretend like I do, but I said how I remember holding Malachi for the first time. I was a kid holding a kid. And I think we all felt that way probably. I was a kid who just got the responsibility of a kid. I did not even know how to wake myself up in the morning very well. My wife was kicking me. The alarm has been going off for an hour. How am I supposed to wake up to a crying baby? I was a kid holding a kid. But you know what? It was one of the greatest times of my life. I look back on it with great joy. But I know this too. That if I keep going and keep maturing, the best is still yet to come. Don't get caught up in the idea that those teen years are the best years of your life, whether it's physically or spiritually. Because as we grow, if we do it right, it can just get better and better and better. I have things that are just so much greater now than they've ever been, and I don't expect them to stop. We're going to move forward, and things are going to be amazing. And so we're on this journey together.